The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by the spin off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. One of the things we get asked for on this podcast is for more stories of people in companies and involved in business who aren't necessarily the solo or lead entrepreneur. So this year, we're sharing a few more stories of people doing interesting, big and different things in business, like today's guest, who's someone who's come back here from a big career overseas to take on the CEO role at one of our big listed companies in the insurance space. Blair Turnbull is a Kiwi that had an exec role at ASB before heading overseas and working with Aviva, an insurer out of London with 30 million plus customers. Blair led digital, retail and innovation functions, rising to be looking after 15 million customers before being shoulder tapped to come back home to run Tower. To find out how the insurance game works, what it takes to grow to a CEO role and what innovation is coming our way in insurance, Blair Turnbull joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for being here. Oh, Morena, thank you. Hey, so first up, tell me what led you into this kind of path of business leadership? What, what attracted you to the world of business? <laughs> I'd love to think it was a, uh, a chosen path, probably with the realisation when it dawned on me that I wasn't going to be a, a professional sports person and uh, I was no good at construction like my, my family business. Um, business was a good third choice. But maybe a more serious answer is um, I was lucky enough early on in my career to to be around some really, really good people. I got introduced to Barbara Chapman, who went to, to run ASB, and Ross McEwen, who also went on to run AXA and now NAB. And I guess they uh, very patiently guided me and gave me some good advice around business. And for better or worse, I, I fell in love with uh, wealth and insurance. How does one fall in love with wealth and insurance? Exactly, Simon. So how does one... Um, <laughs> Well, certainly, was, I was lucky to, you know, to be in touch with some really, really good people. In the case of Barbara and Ross, uh, who were with me in sort of early parts of my career. But I guess the big part of that is I really do enjoy the business community. I enjoy working with with customers and making a really good business. And I've been lucky enough that it's helped me see the world. So, you know, I've worked uh, in four different continents um, with a variety of different really big businesses, and I think that's it's been wonderful. It's been a privilege. Tell me about kind of the relationship between wealth and insurance as in working in these big financial organizations, um, you know, a, a, a number of them 
that's been kind of intrinsically linked, hasn't it? Kind of helping people build up their wealth, but also helping them have uh, backstops in case uh, the the the, uh, the uh, it all hits the fan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't. Well, it's interesting you say that, Simon, because. I don't think that's necessarily helped the industry because people do find it confusing. Life insurance, general insurance, KiwiSaver, they all get messed in together. And actually, there's been a real trend where composite insurers, insurers that do life, general and wealth, haven't been that successful more recently and have started to unwind themselves. And, and certainly, they are intertwined. You know, you invest money and you know that, that plays a big part of what has been traditional life insurance. Um, but I think in, in some regards, looking forward, they they will become more specialised, more monoline, as, as the industry called them, and focus more on investments, will focus more on the general insurance side um, for your home and, and motor, et cetera, and also for life insurance. And you're seeing that regulators are saying, hey, I want greater transparency. Let's break up these big behemoth businesses and focus them in on their specific areas so we can understand them, we can regulate them better. What was your role at ASB before heading overseas? <laughs> was was executive general manager for wealth and insurance. There you go. So, um, and it was it, it was my second time round at ASB. It's it's a wonderful bank, and uh, I have nothing but really good memories of it. But it was looking after their uh, security side of the business, ASB Securities, their KiwiSaver side, which was really this is going back nine years. It was sort of really starting to take off at that point. I'm a massive fan of KiwiSaver, but it was also looking after their insurance side, their life and their general side um, at that time. And it was, it was um, I think, a, a key chapter w- with ASB where it came out of having, you know, modest-sized businesses in that area to becoming a, you know, a bit of a powerhouse in New Zealand and, you know, bringing in the best of ASB, uh, which has always been around the technology side and bringing that into wealth and insurance. What led you to head off overseas? So that would be a pretty, pretty cool big role in a in a local uh, corporation. Yeah, may, maybe a little moment of transparency. Um, you know, I've, I've probably for the best part of the last twenty plus years been overseas. So I had twelve years in Asia, and then I came back for personal reasons for a couple of years, and that's why I rejoined with with ASB and the team. And then there seemed to be one more tour of duty left, and. Um, I went up and, and joined up with a number of uh, colleagues who I'd worked with in Asia who were um, coming together to to run Aviva, which is, is the UK's largest insurer. And there was an opportunity that was just too good to, to pass up. And so my wife and I decided we, uh, three young boys, we, we dragged them once more across the other side of the world for, for seven years in the UK, which was, was absolutely brilliant. And what were you doing there? I mean, the scale of the kind of operations when you work in um, big organisations there are kind of wild uh, for, for New Zealand kind of um, uh, experience and levels. Yeah, if you just humour me for one second on a, on a story, Aviva is a really interesting insurance company. Uh, it's one of the first insurance companies ever. It's 350 years old. It was born out of uh, the Great Fire of London. So Great Fire of London, everything burnt down, you know, um, in terms of the homes and everything and then they thought well that wasn't so good how do we sort of solve this problem in the future and insurance was born it was born as effectively fire brigades and if you had a nice little plaque outside your your house in downtown London the fire brigade the insurance company would race along and put it out and if you didn't the house would pretty much burn down that's where insurance 
really started 350 years ago, and Aviva was at the forefront of that. And so a chance to work with, you know, I, I know this for most people isn't too sexy, but a chance to work with one of the most formative insurance companies ever and to help them come into a new generation, this technology generation, was, was fantastic. And my role was really, when I, when I joined there seven or eight years ago, was the task of setting up a new generation of insurance and, and to develop that um, digital data-driven insurer, which at that time was, was quite modest. It was about a million customers that we had in the UK and a few more internationally. But, you know, seven or eight years later, we had eight million customers in the UK, um, almost double that, you know, internationally in, in six other countries. And it was a real success story for them. Yeah, that, that's wild and so cool to be part of a, a new innovation. Uh, you, you know, because, yeah, like, like it might seem to be, you know, quite a conservative industry, but it is... Uh, it's risk, it's uh, danger, it's things going wrong, it's the uncertain, all, all tried to be made um, manageable. And you know, when you mentioned the history of insurance there, I was reading a book recently by Neil Stevenson about um, the 1600s, uh, uh, the time of Isaac Newton and the like, and they were talking about the coffee shops where people would meet to organise um, insurance for long sea journeys. And one of those coffee shops was Lloyd's, and that's how, how Lloyd's began. And that was such an amazing period for the birth of money, finance, uh, insurance, um, debt, like so many kind of uh, instruments and ideas that have been so important. Yeah, well, literally where Aviva was, was right across, it was called the Golden Mile. It's the Golden Mile of Insurance in downtown uh, London City. And where they were was right across the road from that, you know, infamous lane of where there was coffee. I'm sure there's lots of other things aside from coffee, even to today. Um, but that was where it all started, you know, with the merchant ships and, you know, giving protection. And, and of course, you know, wars fueled insurance. Insurance, is, you know, for a long time has been connected with wars and, and providing protection around um, maritime and, and the like. So there's a lot of connections there. Um, it looks very different today, clearly insurance, you know, insuring people's home, motor, jet ski, you know, uh, pet, as opposed to, to maritime warships. But it, it has, that's where the roots are from. And that work, you know, making a digital first series of products for insurance, and there's been a huge growth, hasn't there, internationally, as you were saying, in those kind of single-minded product offerings where people are able to uh, buy their insurance off the, the brand they like or, or, or whatever. Um, what, what's driving that? Uh, what, what's driving these changes and how, how, how come so many people are moving online and um, buying like that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's, it's frustrating to sit here and say this, but for an industry that's 350-odd years, we still haven't fundamentally solved the first point, which is help customers understand their insurance. And two-thirds of all customers still struggle to understand what their insurance is about. Um, and they, therefore, when you don't understand something, you reduce yourself to price, and, and price has driven this industry sometimes, you know, successfully and sometimes, you know, frustratingly. And I think at the heart of the drive with digital and data is helping customers have a much more convenient, easy, simple experience. And that's definitely what Tower's about, um, and it's certainly what I'm, I'm passionate about, is, is trying to, to say to someone that we... You know, people recognise they've got a beautiful home, they've got a lovely new car, a new e-bike, whatever. They don't want to, they don't want to protect that asset. Um, 
at the same time, you know, we haven't been as successful as we want to be in helping people understand the right insurance, what's suitable for them, making it nice and easy, not having a torturous process with 70-odd questions to try and insure your house, many of which you don't even know the answer to. And, and it just needs to be easy. And, and what I love about digital and data is actually being smart around digital and data and helping people through that journey to get the right insurance at the right time for the right price and have insurance they do understand and what they are covered for. It shouldn't be a lottery at the time of claims. When you come to have a claim, it shouldn't feel like a lottery or a quiz as to whether you're going to get the cover or not. There is that feeling like there might be a fish hook or you're missing out (laughs) or you're going to pick the wrong exclusion and then it's all going to be for nothing and that kind of loss aversion and fear of looking looking like an idiot kind of kicks in quite a lot is that has that been a tactic you know like because insurance like the business of it is really um kind of uh it, it it seems to not make a lot of sense because it seems zero sum but obviously you know it isn't but <laughs> but it seems there are some like either you're winning or the insurer's um losing uh and so it feels like you know it's an asymmetric kind of situation where it's in the insurer's interest not to be paying out or you know to 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 not have um things be too easy to deal with is that is that a fair assumption has it been that way or or or, or does that happen yeah we call it the gotcha moment um no, I, I certainly, look, I certainly in this industry, and it's certainly nothing that I've been involved in that you don't set out to sort of get people. Um, but unfortunately, it is sort of complex, and it's complex because I don't think as an industry, but we've been very good at being very specific about what you're covered for. And and often the starting point is you're covered for everything, and then you sort of work your way backwards, and that creates lots of complexity. What we're trying to unpick is say, hey, look, what are the things you really want covered? Be super clear about those and the terms around them in plain English, and then let you add things on as your lifestyle changes or emerges. You add other people, a second driver, or whatever it is that you're adding into your into your policy. So make it nice and clear, and enable you easily to ask a question. So if you have a question, you know you don't want to sit there for 15 minutes on the telephone line and then try and explain your question, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You want to be able to go very easily, and this is what you know, technology is so wonderful, you can go and ask those questions easily online and get quick responses and help you understand what you have. And, and I think that's the key to all of this. I know that everyone's really busy, everyone's busy doing their thing, and, and especially in this rapidly changing world we live in now, you know, what we don't want to do is have people worrying unnecessarily about their insurance. We want them to let them get on with their lives and, and at the same time, if, it, if something does happen, accidents do happen, you're not sitting there scratching under your bed to try and find the, the statement or the policy and trying to work out if I'm covered or not. You just want to pick up your phone and check it out under my towel. And in terms of um, yeah, be, being able to access all of those services... Yeah, o- online uh, and, and being able to kind of, you know, the, the, the possibility of being able to walk around your house and take photos of everything and upload that to your um, policy or be able to really easily update, you, you know, information or whatever. But the thing is, people just don't really engage, do they? It's like one of those things like um, insurance is up there with um, going to the dentist where you know you've got to do it. Maybe you put, you put it off and then maybe you don't engage properly and then um, it's not set up as well as you could. Like, but in the... In the local context in New Zealand, after the Christchurch earthquake and, and the other earthquakes recently especially, um, it's been much more to the fore, hasn't it? Like a lot of people have been uh, having to deal with insurance and 
Yeah, it, it really shows what a huge part it plays in society once a huge event comes in and kind of, um, yeah, sh- sh- shakes everything up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> interestingly enough, New Zealand is unique for a number of reasons. Yes, because it's beautiful and, and, and green, but, you know, we're also, according to a lot of research, the fourth riskiest country in the world in terms of we have earthquakes, we have floods, we, we, we have cyclones in, in the Pacific that uh, drop down from, from time to time, you know, last weekend, case in point. Um, we have a lot of, you know, natural events around us because we're in the middle of the Pacific. So... You know, we do see these things, and Christchurch was was a real wake-up call. And, and more recently, we've seen a lot of large events around flooding and, you know, hailstorms. And these things happen to us. And I think as as Kiwis and, and, and Pacific people, we, we appreciate nature's beauty, but also the wrath of nature. And, and this is why insurance is important to, to all of us, because we have beautiful homes and we want them protected. We have all these things. I think the challenge again is we need to to be able to give people protection and that peace of mind, but in an easy way. And, and the reason you don't go around and take pictures and load them up, because you just know it'll be a really arduous process. <laughs> it'll already take you forever. And you, you probably couldn't even load them up because you know the insurers aren't ready to take those photos. What we want to do is, is make that process really easy. And I think that's what's changing. And we talked earlier, Simon, about examples like Lemonade and what Aviva have done. You know, there's these other large insurers around the world. There's no reason we can't do that here in New Zealand. We have all the same technology. We're partnered with all of those big technology partners. We can bring that capability here, and we want to. Yeah, Lemonade, which is a you know well-known example of the kind of thing that you were doing at Aviva, like it's an interesting model, big, big in the US, where they operate like their marketing anyway, you know, is their marketing position is that they operate kind of like Southern Cross does that lots of people in New Zealand would know where uh, everyone kind of um, pays their their um, premiums in and then it's kind of shared out with everyone and any excess left over after the costs of running it, people are able to then uh, say that they want that excess left there to go to a charity or good cause of what they like. And what they've seen out of that is fascinating in that fewer people are making false claims, fewer people are, um, uh, like, claims actually went down for some people, and they've had more money to disperse, which is, you know, a remarkable kind of marketing position that, that they're putting out there and, and has led to, like, really big growth. Yeah, how, how, how does that model work versus an insurance model here for, for um, big companies? Yeah, I probably need to do more PR, don't I, Simon? You know, like, Lemonade and no more podcasts maybe, yeah? Um <laughs> I think there's a lot of similarities, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not, this is not an advertisement for Tower, but we are the last listed insurer. You know, we, we don't send dividends back to Europe or to, to Australia or whatever it is. You know, Tower has been here for 150 years. We're listed, we're on the NZX, and, you know, we're owned by, by Kiwis and, and people in the Pacific. So, um, yes, Southern Cross are, you know, a non-for-profit, and, and Nick and the team do a really good job. Um, we're, we're still the same, but different. We're listed a listed company, but working for um, New Zealanders and people in the Pacific and, and owned and operated by um, New Zealand folks. So in, in that regard, it's a different setup, but I think at the heart of it has the same principles um, and that makes us a little bit unique. What 
what kind of keeps you up at night as, uh, <laughs> as an insurer as you're talking before about earthquakes and cyclones and hailstorms <laughs> and the like? And, you know, like the Christchurch earthquakes really showed us because people weren't expecting that in Christchurch. And it really, you know, um, it's been a horrendous process for a lot of the people uh, living there and uh, the the funds, the EQC funds kind of were, were tapped out. And it, it's really shown us how exposed we can we can be. Yeah, this is a bit, uh, you, you joke about it, but <laughs> in truth, I spend a lot of time looking at the weather um, and a lot of time looking at um, geo and, and GNS and all the rest uh, because that is what we do do and we're quite happy about paying claims for those reasons. You know, this weekend alone, we had three cyclones in the Pacific. Um, you know, in the last three or four months, we've had Ohau and, and 47 homes having to be fully um, rebuilt. We've had Napier Hastings floods, we've had the the flash floods in Plymouthton, uh, we've had Mochuaca and hailstorms. You know, we live in a wonderful country uh, and in the Pacific, but we are very exposed to, to weather. And earthquakes was, was a real reminder, but I think what was interesting about, about Christchurch was it was just a few years late. You know, 1931 Napier, and we can look back consistently all the way back to, you know, 600 years ago and Rangitoto sent in the middle of our harbour. This is a country that's on a, on a fault. So we're going, we have to expect these things. And I think we've all had a, a real learning through Christchurch. It, it wasn't what you want, but, it, but it's happened and we have to learn from it. And I think what we're learning is we need to try and we are building differently. I think EQC... Um, is, is a good thing. I spend a lot of time talking to Sid Miller, who's the CEO, and, and we discuss a lot of things around how to better support the industry and better support New Zealanders. And we're far from perfect, but I think we've just got to remind ourselves, how do we do this better? We are doing it better. We're having better agency agreements. Um, but we, we need to accept these things will happen, and, and on a, you know, on a more, arguably even a more regular basis, these large events. Kia ora, Duncan Grieve here, managing editor and host of another spin-off podcast you should subscribe to if you haven't already. It's called The Fold and it's about one of my all-time favourite topics, one I've been reporting on and obsessing over for some years now, the chaotic but incredibly exciting and fun New Zealand media industry and scene. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and join me for in-depth analysis and interviews with some of the most influential and interesting players in New Zealand's media. With, with climate change and, and rising sea levels and the like, there's been a, a slew of articles lately talking about the fact that a lot of coastal property, uh, you know, immediately people jump to mind batches at beaches, but also all of the central business district of, you know, so, so much of the central business district of Auckland and Wellington are sitting on reclaimed land, which is, you, you know, worse than sea level. Uh, and, and with rising sea level, there's going to be, um, you, you know, in 50 years' time, a lot of this is going to be underwater. Like, when does it start being something that is um, uninsurable? And when do people have to start making plans on these things? Yeah, it, it's um, when you live two or three streets back and you're on Beach Street and you're on the quay in the middle of Auckland, you know, there, there are constant reminders of where the water used to be. And, and that a lot of property in New Zealand is built on reclaimed land and uh, alluvial soil, which 
is not necessarily, um, you know, the easiest to build on and, and strengthen around. So, look, the key thing for us, and, and we're, we did a partnership with Auckland University, announced that before Christmas. We are working with them for a number of reasons because we want to take all that data, all the data about how uh, flood risks are emerging and and the like, and we want to put that together. And what we, what we want to do is then share that back. You can't take necessarily risks of climate change away, but what you can do is how you respond to them and how you understand them. And so that when you're looking at a home or you're looking at something, you realise, okay, you know, this has got higher risk maybe because it's built on this type of soil or exposed to these types of tidal surge or whatever it is. What we want to do is make sure that people feel informed and then can mitigate against that. And I think at the moment people take policies but they don't necessarily always understand you know, the risks involved. And, and look, there's a, there's a, you know, I won't go into it too much, but there's, a, there's an advertisement campaign running at the moment about what happens to your car in a crash. And, of course, when you're buying a car, you don't necessarily always think of what could happen in an accident. You're excited about, you know, the seats and what it looks like and all the, all the features. I think equally as important is actually understanding, you know, if you were to be in an accident, how would that play out? And, and making sure that you put yourself in a situation that you can mitigate that risk. We want to do the same, whether it's in the car or the home or if you're taking your jet ski out for the weekend or, or whatever. You know, insurance has always been one of those industries which is talked about at the bottom of the cliff. We're the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff that helps pick up people and, and put them back on their financial path. What we'd like to be is on the top, actually, and try to mitigate those accidents, as well as always being at the bottom, to help people rebuild their home or replace something if they lose it or break it. Yeah. You know, it's both of those things. I mean, with sea level rise and um, the like, that's one where, you know, as a as a group, you know, us us people, humans, we're not very good at kind of living in the world of statistics and you know fifty year timeframes. But that's the very business of insurance is to live in that world. And yeah, I I, I wonder, having seen a bunch of these reports um, coming out saying that you know maybe in in fifty years, uh, sometime in the next fifty years, coastal property will be uninsurable. And then if coastal property is uninsurable, you can't get a mortgage. And so then. If you own an asset, you can't sell it because no one can really buy it. And there's going to be, you, you know, have to be a really big, um, yeah, a really big rebalancing of of of, of what, what what's happening with people who own um, property that could be uh, underwater. And if it's fifty years away, that means that you must be thinking about it now, daily. daily. You, your original question was what keeps me up at night. That's what keeps me up at night: helping people understand their risks. And you know, two parts to that question too, Simon. Was you said you know. How insurance is changing, and you talked about data. Um, you know, just quickly going back to the previous life I had with Aviva, as I was leaving, we had 800 data scientists working for us, a couple of thousand programmers. You know, that's not what usually if someone says, I work in insurance, you don't think of lots of technology, you don't think of, you know, data scientists, but actually that's that's really what the business is changing into. It's taking all of that data, helping people make sense of it, presenting in a nice way so that it's not really problematic so you do understand the risks. And I think, you know, the, I think we've all learned probably from COVID, um, you know, the, the, this really horrible situation that the world's in, but it's, it's reminded us that these events do happen. And, and in a way, it has been a catalyst for all of us to look a lot harder at the climate and to start to realise actually these events can happen and they're coming on us quickly and, you know, fully supportive of, of, of the government papers that have been and policies that have been, you know, 
presented in the last few days in particular, we have to look into the challenges around the climate, especially where we live, especially where we live. Yeah, and it's... um. You know, you see a report where someone says, well, the, the insurance council is saying, you know, we have to take this seriously. That's kind of a great big red warning flashing light, eh? That's kind of um, insurance speak for really, really, really pay attention to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the key thing, though, and this is, again, where, where technology and data has been wonderful in leading companies is, is saying, yes, yes, you know, fair, 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 but let's help us out here. Let's see what can we all do today, tomorrow to, to start us on this journey to improve it and recognising that things are tight at the moment and you can't all just run out and buy a hybrid car or an electric car. So what can we all do today, right now, to make things better? And, and the first of all is start to, to educate ourselves and understand let's not build a house on an estuary or reclaimed or, or if, we, if you are living there, how can you help strengthen your home to, to be prepared for certain things? And that's what we can all do right now today and then start planning for tomorrow. What, uh, what's involved in the day? A couple of questions about, about kind of CEO life. What's involved in the day of being a CEO of a big listed company? Is you're kind of the pivot point between a massive organisation. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I find it really easy because I love what I do. I really do enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a privilege to do it. And... Um, you know, I want to make sure that Tower tomorrow is better than Tower yesterday. But, you know, look, it starts pretty early. You know, I arrived ready for this podcast. Uh, you know, I was up before six and went for a run and was here well before seven around the corner drinking coffee. So, you know, it's a day that will involve, you know, a lot of talking to people, a lot of listening. Um, I love to get onto the end of the calls and listen to customer calls and, and understand actually the real parts of the business. You're right, it is, you know, even in today, you know, talking about materials and, and papers we're presenting to boards, it's talking to regulators. Um, I think what it is, is, is the heart of all of it, is, is being really clear about, you know, where you want to take that business and where, how you can support it, putting a great team around you that you trust and you're not sitting there micromanaging them. You know, a big part of all leadership is, is you know, presenting and, and articulating a vision of what good looks like and giving people guidelines and handrails to, to get from A to B and, and taking people on that journey such a way that it, 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 it's good for customers, it's good for staff, and then that relays commercially into what's good for shareholders and, and the board alike. I, I think it's, it's that constant balance, but at the heart of it, it has to be sort of a force for the good in the middle. If it's just about making money, well, that's... It becomes boring quite quickly, and there's, it's not what drives people making money for someone else. You know, I think there's got to be a, a force for the good, helping people, you know, with their home, you know, with their, their favourite car, whatever it is, there's got to be a force for the good in the middle of it. What advice would you have for people who are interested in a career uh, in leadership in, in big organisations. Yeah, and no, look, I'm a scrawny kid off a farm from just out of Invercargill. For goodness sake, you know, I don't have any special talent that anyone else doesn't have. You know, I, I wanted to, to, you know, get out and learn. I'm, I'm, I'm naturally curious, and I think curious is the one thing I would say to people. Be curious. Find something that really interests you and, and sort of throw yourself into it and take on a little bit of risk and reward in order to do it. Uh, in my case, you know, I, I travel, I, I I met some really good people that gave me some guidance and opportunities to go and venture into to Asia in the 90s when, you know, that wasn't necessarily the most popular thing 
to do and a lot of unknowns as well. But boy, boy, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. So, you know what, well, be curious. Find two or three people who, who you trust who could give you some good guidance because, you know, it's when you make the mistakes and then they help pick you back up and put you back on track and you learn from the mistakes. And, and don't, be, don't be afraid to try some things out, you know. Um, I think right now it, it, it's hard to, to promote sort of a global aspect as we sit here with, with COVID, but I've learned so much, so much from my time of, you know, working in Australia, living for 12 years or, or so in Asia, living in the UK and Europe, you know, travelling South America. And I, I think it's that, that accumulation of all those experiences that then come back and help you on, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. And as a final thought, something we, we ask um, everyone is, what will success be for you personally, having had, you know, run really big parts, you know, 15 million customers and grown 10 million kind of uh, customers here and, 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 and had these big leadership positions and CEO of a listed company? What, what will success be for you in a business sense, but also in a personal sense? Uh, I think they're both intertwined. You know, right now I'm, I'm really focused, loving what I'm doing. And, and I think what, what I'd like to do is, is we talked, Simon, earlier about how Xero have changed the face of accounting software. Um, and I've done that from little old New Zealand. And I love what Fisher and Paykel have done on, on, on Whiteware or Mainfreight have done on transport. I would love Tower to be that success story in our new age around insurance and making it beautifully simple and rewarding and so that if accidents do happen and we do live in the shaky aisles, if they do happen, you know, our customers are prepared, they are financially supported and we can get them back up and running, you know, quickly. And and I think it's that it's that sort of iconic an iconic business in the space of insurance, helping Kiwis and people in the Pacific. Um, I think that would that would be enormously fulfilling and to leave you know, tower in a better place than, you know, than, than I came along, which was a good place anyway, but uh, even better place. Oh, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing the story. That's Blair Turnbull, CEO at Tower Insurance. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you Tina Diller, for producing, and thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound, and brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.